0: Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. We're so glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to the book of Philippians. This will be our third week in the book of Philippians. A couple of weeks ago, we did kind of a quick overview. Then last week, we looked at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. Today, tribal principles, some principles that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi about, helping them know how do you live this life of joy? How do you get to that place where joy really becomes a possibility in your life? Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Stand with me as we read God's Word together today. And as you stand, I want to keep in mind uh, before you, uh, it's kind of hard to believe that we're only six weeks away from Easter. That's hard to believe, is it? I mean, it comes fast. And uh, next week is March 3rd. March 31st is actually Easter Sunday. We have Easter weekend, the uh, Good Friday cross service that we do every year, and then, of course, uh, Easter Sunday morning. lot to pray for, and uh, I ask you to just do your best to reach out to people, invite them to come, and uh, we would love to see this place full of people. Many of them maybe never have heard the gospel before. We would have no greater privilege than to see them come to faith in Christ, and at the very least, hear a clear presentation of the gospel, which they will. Philippians chapter 1. All right, we're going to read all of the first eight verses. Now, this is a family letter, a small church, Philippi, between 75 and 100 people in that church. It never got bigger than that. And yet, it was a significant group of believers. It was the first church in Europe. Paul heard the Macedonia vision, came across, Uh, with silas and timothy and luke and uh so we have this incredible letter that he writes back to the church at fedify it's a family letter as i said uh four times in this text that we'll read the words you all are side by side and i'm just going to say y'all today i hope you all forgive me because you all is y'all is not right y'all with me today y'all with me amen and, um, and, and then four other times the word you is used always in the plural. So actually there's eight y'alls in this verse. It's about the family of God. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, that's a plural there, always, Offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody that loves that verse, just say amen. Amen. That verse is gonna be a verse we come back to in a moment and spend some time on. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partake, partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, it's all the way through there. You'll never be able to read this first chapter the same way again. <laughs> Y'all's all the way through that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit in this text help us to see these simple words what they mean how they should affect us towards joy we ask this in Jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. please be seated if you would so we've talked a little bit about Paul and the circumstances before he wrote this letter today writing back to the church at Philippi that he started after the Macedonian vision so this is obviously a group of people that he loves he's interacted with them now for about 10 years in various ways. And so he's writing this letter back to them, helping them know the focus of joy. Now, at this time, he's in a Roman prison as he writes. And I have to think about the Roman imprisonment of Paul. He was in prison several times. He was always in prison, it seemed like. But in prison, he wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, and then a more personal letter called Philemon. He wrote them all from a prison cell. And he was in various forms of Roman imprisonment. Sometimes he was in chains. Often he was chained to a Roman soldier. All the time he was in prison. Sometimes he was in an underground prison at Caesarea by the sea. And uh, I, I can't imagine sitting down and writing a letter with a quill cool pen of some sort and a parchment of some sort and what subject would first come to my mind. If I'd been in prison, in and out of prison for, for two years for preaching the gospel of Jesus, I could only imagine what I might write a letter about. He could be writing a letter about the injustice of where he is. He could be writing a letter about Nero and the, the wicked Roman Empire. He could be writing a letter about those that betrayed him or deceived him. But no, Paul in this prison cell says, I know what I'll do. I'll write a letter about joy. I'll let people know that no matter what your circumstance is, no matter how hard your day is, no matter how hard your year or your ministry is, no matter how hard it is in life in general, you can have the kind of joy that you want to write home about. And that's what he does in the book of Philippians. He's writing back to them. And in all his comments, they all lead to this idea of joy that's beyond the happiness of what the world can give you. Beyond the happiness of just good friendships and good feelings and good food and whatever else brings us happiness. It goes far deeper than that. It's about the joy that supersedes all those things. You want to read this book. You want to dissect this book. But here's what happens. We read the book of Philippians, and we read through it very quickly because it's only four chapters. It's very simple, and we kind of read through it real quick, and we miss some of those really important pieces of this letter on joy. Well, I I want to go slowly through this. So as we read this passage today and look at this passage, we're going to look at some tribal principles that will help us be at the same place Paul is in the joy when times are tough the joy when things aren't perfect. So first of all, I want you to notice as we read this that Paul talks about the right kind of remembering, the right kind of remembering. He's praying for people, and he's praying for the church as a whole, and he says this as an unusual line. He said, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. I'm sure there are many things that brought Paul joy about this church. Think about the Macedonian vision that was so supernatural. He finally found God's will for his life, and he went that way along with Silas and Timothy and, and Luke. Think about Lydia, the lady that was at the seaside, basically, at the, at the, at the area by the water, by the river, where, where she was open to the gospel. God had already prepared her heart, and there was no synagogue there. There were not enough Jewish people there. It was basically a Roman colony. But Lydia was open, and Paul preached the gospel, and she accepted Christ. And the passage in Acts 16 says that she and her family were baptized. And then she turns around and says to Paul, why don't you just have my house, take my house, take my porch, start your church in this place. He might have had that memory. Uh, It might have been the memory of of being in jail with Silas and singing hymns in jail. You remember that story of the book of Acts and prison doors opening up and the, the Philippian jailer coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe... He's remembering casting demons out uh, of the young girl that was prophesying over him by demonic infiltration in her life. All kinds of things he could have been remembering. But he also references in the letter some bad things as well. He said, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those that preach the gospel from the wrong motive. So Philippi was a typical church. It wasn't a perfect church. Even though they had a perfect Savior, it was a church with good and bad. And yet Paul says, I thank God for all my remembrance of you. It wouldn't have been like Paul to say, I thank God for some of the things that I remember about you, but some of those things I'm not going to thank God for. He doesn't say that. He says something very different. He says, I thank God for everything that I remember about your life. Now, when I read this text and I see Paul's heart and his his life, I realize that This is not a perfect church, but he is taking a perfect attitude. He has a selective memory loss. A selective memory loss. How many of you in the room have ever been accused of selective hearing loss? Would you raise your hand if you've ever been accused of that? Because that means you only hear what you want to hear, right? How many of you that have been accused of that are men? Would you raise your hand if you are men? Okay. I believe that. How many of your wives accuse you of that? No, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Well, selective memory loss is much like a selective hearing loss. You only remember what you want to remember. Why would Paul say, every remembrance I have of you, I give thanks to God with joy over that. And I think the answer to that is Paul remembered the great things about what God was doing at the church at Philippi and set the other things aside. I think he didn't keep that in mind. I think he had a memory and a selective memory loss. As you walk through the letter to Philippi, you see some of those things that he doesn't really bring up, but are facts about what was going on there now there's lots of reasons for joy he talks about their their participation in the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel it means that they have the same kind of faith it means they have the same savior it means they have the same mission it means that they are like-minded when it comes to carrying out the ministry of the gospel and in the beginning of that church they worked together in a powerful way but Paul when he prayed when he thought back to them thought back about the great things that God had done there and forgave them the things that weren't great And I want to tell you today, that's a great attitude to have. It's a great tribal practice to have if you're going to have joy in the body of Christ. Stay with me here. Did you know the Bible tells us that God remembers our sin no more? And we can't chalk that up to God being someone that has a memory problem. God doesn't have any thought problems, any memory problems. But the Bible says that he remembers our sin no more. As a matter of fact, I'll go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, a great, great text that talks about the powerful things that happened through Jesus Christ being our high priest. And he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Then he says, and their sins and their deeds I will remember no more. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of joy when I hear that verse right there. Their sins I will remember no more. How many of you in the room have sins that you remember that God has forgiven you of and you're glad God remembers them no more? Just say amen today to that. I am grateful for this verse. This verse tells me that God not only forgives, but he forgives completely and he doesn't bring it up again. He allows that to be the past and the past ought to be the past and it ought to bring you joy that you're forgiven as it brings me joy that I'm forgiven. And it's important for us to know that we can also practice the same kind of forgiveness and remember those other things no more. Learn the lessons, but release them from their Offense. And Paul is taking that approach. All my remembrance of you, I thank God with great joy. I'm not letting anything else that happened to me while I was there hold me back from the great joy I have from what God is doing in this spiritual family. I wrote this down because I think it's important. A selective memory loss will allow us to forget what we need to leave to the past and remember what we need to bring us into the future. That's a pretty big deal. You've got to remember the good things. You've got to forget the tough things that happen to you in the body of Christ and in life in general. And I know you can anguish in prayer if you want. You you can just worry over that all the time you want to worry over that, but it won't bring you progress and it won't bring you joy. Paul chose to remember those things. All those things brought him joy. He didn't say... I thank God for most of my remembrance of you. I I thank God for some of my remembrance of you, except that one thing or two thing. He said, I thank God for all my remembrance. And it was just this practice. Keep reading in the book of Philippians, and you'll see he comes across a verse that you're very familiar with. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Paul says, I'm not going to sit there and think about all the victories or the successes or the failures of the past, but what I am going to do is I'm going to remember the great things and then I'm going to reach forward and move towards the prize that God has for us. And and I was writing this down the other day. I I just felt led to just, in that moment, writing it down to say, take a moment right here at this point in the message. Just take a moment. And I felt led to say, You need to exercise this kind of remembrance in your own church life, in your own faith life with your family of faith. How do you do that? Well, you do that by saying, I'm going to have a selective memory loss here with the imperfect people that are around me. And I'm going to remember what God did in spite of them and how God worked around them and sometimes even through them. Maybe you need to have a selective memory loss for others in your life that hurt you, that wounded you. Maybe it means you need to forget and forgive that one person that said something to you or about you or what that leader did those years ago that keeps you from really fully believing God in this present day or what that pastor said or or what that group did or or what the, the church of Jesus Christ as a whole did or didn't do and just come to the place of saying, I know that the church is not perfect, but I also know that Jesus Christ is, and I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to press on towards him. I'm going to forget what lies behind. I'm going to reach forward to what lies ahead. One of the greatest things you can do in life is to be able to come to the place like Paul. I thank God for every remembrance of you, all the great things that God did through you. When my, uh, when my father was a pastor Back in the day when I was in college, my dad pastored for a number of years. He actually was a full-time pastor when he passed away a few years ago. And I was in high school and and, uh, just graduated from high school going into college. My dad was in a church in Oklahoma, always pastored small churches in Oklahoma until that point. And uh, sometimes small churches can be tough. They can be hard. And he was in a tough church, a hard church. It's a good church in many ways, but tough in other ways. And I knew some things that were going on behind the scenes and some accusations that were made about him that were not true. They were not moral or anything like like that. They just had some people that didn't like him for some reason. And I can remember being in college thinking, man, I wish I could meet up with some of those deacons on my own. I would help them out a little bit. And it wasn't a very spiritual thought I was having, you know. I just wanted to come to my dad's defense. And one of the things I said during that time, God began working in my life and I began reading scripture and seeing that he was calling me to do something. And I said, God, I'll do anything for you except pastor. I won't pastor. Because all I can think of is the experiences my dad went through as a pastor. And I'm not signing up for that. I'm just not going to do it. And over time, God worked in my heart, worked on my mind, helped me see that he was bigger than any church, that he was really the one I'd be serving and not people that might be hard to deal with. And I was able to get past that. And I'm so glad I did. But it came from selective memory loss. It came from doing the same thing that Paul is doing. I thank God for every remembrance I have of you with great joy. Because I saw what God was doing through the church, and in spite of imperfect people, Jesus was really being elevated and, and exhausted, and people were coming to faith in Jesus. Even in that church back then, that it helped me get past all the imperfections of the church. And Paul is showing us how to get past of all the imperfections of the church. And if you don't do that, what a loss it will be to the church and to your life. And so I have three words of advice to you. Let it go. Let it go. God has the ability to wipe that clean, to forgive everyone involved. Let it go. You say, well, is that cryptic? Are you referring to something, Pastor? And I'm saying, no. No. Nothing at all except whatever you might have experienced that keeps you from moving forward. Paul says, you need to have the right kind of remembrance. The right kind of memory. Secondly, Paul moves into this great verse, verse 6, where he talks about the right kind of confidence. Verse 6 is amazing. We're going to have it on the screen here. I want you to read it out loud with me. Yes, out loud. And I want us to read it out loud so that we can uh, kind of let it reverberate inside of our minds and hearts. And here it is. I think it's on the screen right now. Are you ready? Read it with me. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that an amazing verse? Let's read it one more time. This time, read it like you believe it, okay? Here we go. That means loud. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You need to highlight that. You need to write it down somewhere. Maybe you open up your Bible to the very first page where there are several places for you to write a note down. Write this verse down right here. How you run the race has something to do with you, but how you finish it has... Everything to do with him. You came to faith in Jesus because he convicted you of your sin if you are a believer today. But how you finish the race has everything to do with who he is and less about who you are. Paul's writing this verse. And essentially it's saying, I am so convinced of this, so persuaded of how God works in a person's life that I declare to you, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Whether I'm with you or not, whether another leader is there or not. I'm not worried about anybody who's in leadership there or absent. I'm not worried about any circumstance that's good or bad. I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. My confidence is in God, is what Paul is saying. Is your confidence in God? Do you have the right kind of confidence? That's a pretty big deal. At the very least, this verse speaks of eternal security. At the very least. I know that whoever God saves, he will mature or perfect or complete until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean he's going to make you a perfect human being. It means that he is going to mature you until the day when you are ultimately totally transformed and you have a glorified body and obviously will be just like Jesus in that sense of the word. That's what John is talking about when he says, when we see him, we shall become just like him because we'll see him just as he really is. That's an incredible thing that can't happen until heaven, but in the meantime, you're going to be growing and you're going to be maturing and being perfected by everything that he's doing in your life. So it means eternal security and everything else about growing in the Christian's life. Let me just say this, doctrinally speaking, we say this a lot and it's true. Here's a line that we use as Baptists, and I'd say most Bible-believing people have this line as well: "Once saved, always saved." If you've heard that line, would you raise your hand if you've heard it before? "Once saved, always saved." And over the years of preaching, uh, I've come to define quite a bit about what it means to be saved, and so I've added a word to that: "Once saved, always saved." And I, I always add that word because it's important for people to stop and consider what they're thinking or saying. When they say this line, and here's what I say, once truly saved, always saved. And you know why I do that, correct? Don't you, don't you know why I do this? Because I don't want someone to believe that there's some transaction that happens where you fill out your name on a card when you walk forward during an invitation or that you did in vacation Bible school or that you did at some summer camp or some service where you just pray to prayer, but it didn't make any difference in your life at all, and then you're banking on that for eternal security, and I would just say, no, no, no. Once truly saved, always saved. Once the Spirit of God actually grips you, and you have not only eternal life, but you have the Spirit of God dwelling in your life. Once He begins to change you from the inside out, that's the truly we're talking about. Once truly saved, always saved. If He began He did work in you, not a, not a church work, but a divine spiritual work, if he began a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Long before vacation Bible school, long before church camp, long before revivals, long before Billy Graham, long before TV ministries and track, Paul said, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And at the very least, it means that once you are born again into the kingdom of God and you have Christ in your life, your salvation is secure and eternal. Somebody clap in this room. My goodness, that means forever and ever. Forever. So what does that really mean, and where do we get that idea? Well, Jesus introduced that idea in John chapter 10, verse 28. Most of you know this verse. He said, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29 goes on. Jesus goes on and says, My heavenly Father has given them to me, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a powerful word to those disciples, to us today in John chapter 10. Amen. Later in his letter to Ephesus, Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1 In him, that is in Jesus, You also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So not only are you going to be in the hands of Jesus and the hands of the Father that no one can snatch you out of, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. His presence in your life is a pledge from God himself that I will bring you to myself in that final day. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's God's wedding ring on you that says, they're married to me. I'm the groom, they're the bride. I will have them on that last day. What an incredible picture. He that began a good work, and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jude, in this tiny little book, just before the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament, opens up by saying, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You like that word? I like that word, kept. If you've been called, that means you are also loved or beloved, and it also means you are kept by Jesus Christ. You are kept, men and women, in this room if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Kept by God. Who is more powerful than anything else and cannot, there's no way anyone can snatch you out of that. Go all the way to the last verse of Jude and here's what he says. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. At the very least, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus means your eternal security. The Baptist Faith and Message of 2000 has a great wording for this. I'm gonna read directly out of that. I'll quote it. It says, All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Now keep listening to me. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now, you're thinking through your minds. So that means a person can have a season of sin even though they're true believers in Jesus, and I would say yes to that. That's exactly what the Baptist faith and message clarifies. That's exactly what the book of 1 Corinthians helps us with. That, that, that believers in Jesus Christ are not perfect on the day they accept Christ, but are being made perfect, made complete in the whole journey of walking with Christ. And while there may be a season of sin that you're in, you will not be happy in that season of sin. You'll be miserable because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that convicts you at every turn. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. Come back to me who died for you, who saved you. I am so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can't tell you how many times that conviction or that sense of grieving Him or quenching Him has made me stop in my tracks and say, this is not the direction I'm supposed to be going in because I'm, I'm a child of God kept by God and He's doing a work in my life and I don't want it to stop. That's what this verse means. It's real. He's real. At the very least it speaks of your eternal security, but it also speaks of the progress of the believer. Because salvation gives you a new nature. And with a new nature, you don't just live any way you want to live. You don't live the way you lived in the past. You have the Spirit of God inside of your life. And you're constantly, constantly being led and convicted to go the way God calls you to go. So if you're asking the question, which you should be, what does it take to finish well? What does it take to be perfected? It takes someone who can begin the work and finish the work who lives inside of you, which is what verse 6 says. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you find it interesting that in verse 6, Paul starts with the word he, with the pronoun for God, instead of using the actual name of God, instead of saying God who began a good work and you or the Lord who began a good work and you are Jesus Christ who began a good work and you were completed to the day of Christ Jesus. He doesn't do that. He uses the word he. And normally in, in language of the original language, the, the use of the pronoun draws attention to the character instead of the name. In other words, when you think of God, you think of a certain thing. When you think of Jesus, you think of a certain characteristic. But using the word he means you have to do a search in your mind. What is the character being emphasized in this verse? Now, here's the verse again. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And here's what I believe Paul wanted us to be thinking about. Not just These huge theological concepts, but very practical concepts about the he who began a good work in you. I want you to look at it on the screen with me for just a moment. You have the verse, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the way we ought to think about this in the various days of our life is like this. He who created me will complete All the work in me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who saves me will complete me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who forgives me will complete me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who strengthens me will... Keep me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who transforms me will perfect me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who who indwells me will perfect me until the day of Christ Jesus. He who provides for me will perfect me to the day of Christ Jesus. He who leads me will perfect me to the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, for every need you have on the road to being perfected, being matured, Jesus has an answer for that, and it's his personality and his character at work in your life. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The right kind of confidence is right there, right there. You've seen him create, you've seen him save, you've seen him strengthen, you've seen him forgive, you've seen him transform, you've seen him do all these things. And now he's in your life doing those things. And when you doubt, you just remember that he who began will also perfect it until the day of of Christ Jesus. The right kind of confidence means we have no confidence in ourselves. Paul goes on in the book of Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 and he says, for we are the true circumcisions who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, we're not the people that say, oh, I can do this on my own. We're not the people who say, I don't need God. I mean, I know the right thing to do. I'm just going to do it. We're not the people who do that. We put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in religion. But what we do put confidence in is he who began the good work, who's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. At no point is God unable to complete the work he began in you. Did you hear me? Now, you may feel pretty inadequate, but God is never inadequate. You may feel like you're not sure how he's going to come through, but he is sure, he knows exactly how he is going to come through. That's what compels Paul to say what he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And many of you know this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. It's not I, it's Christ. It's not me doing the work. It's God doing the work. Now, some people theologically call this the, uh, the perseverance of the saints. Have you heard that phrase before? The saints will persevere. Even the Baptist faith and message says the saints will endure. True saints will endure. But I don't prefer that word because I want, it to be, I want it to be really clear that it's not my perseverance that makes this happen. It's not your perseverance that makes it happen, even though we ought to persevere. It's his preservation that makes it happen. So I like the line, the preservation of the saints. When I get to heaven one day and I stand before Jesus Christ and he says, well well done, good and faithful servant, I'm going to look back at my life and I go, well, it wasn't me. It was you. All along, it was you. That's why getting to heaven is an absolute free gift. I didn't earn my way there. I may have earned a few crowns like you will earn crowns as you serve him, but those are to be cast at the feet of Jesus in glory and honor of him. Well done, good and faithful service. Well, it wasn't me. It was you, Lord. Paul says the right kind of confidence is really important in your life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, another favorite of mine. Here's what Paul says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace is towards me did not prove vain but I labored more than them all and yet not I but the grace of God in me Amen. Now you have to read that 2 or 3 times before you figure out what he's saying He's saying it's God's grace that made me so motivated that I wanted to give my best but it was not me but the grace of God in me that caused me to do what I did Paul had this acute awareness that it's not his performance That makes him complete until the day of Christ Jesus. It's what God does in his life. You need to have the right kind of confidence. And the right kind of confidence is not in you, but in him. And if you're ever in doubt, don't beat yourself up over your inability. But lean on him and his ability to bring it all to pass. For I'm convinced, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it even to the day of Christ Jesus. And there's one more thing that he says here in verse seven and eight, and it's the right kind of affection. Here's what he says to this family, this church family or family of faith, the tribe, as we've been describing it. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the attraction or affection, excuse me, affection of Christ, the affection of Christ. I long for you all. Paul's a man's man. He doesn't, do a lot of, he doesn't do a lot of touchy-feely stuff, but here he is saying, man, I've got this feeling for you. He actually uses that phrase in Philippians. And I long for you with the affection of Christ. It took me a while to figure out all that he was saying, but I think I have it now. Y'all remember going and taking family photos when you were young? Anybody remember the name Olin Mills? gosh those were nightmare times for us I mean to get all six kids to be able to smile sit still not pick their nose not hit each other while the photographer was trying to set us up was tough some of the hardest times of our life I mean that's the persecution we faced we had six kids at Olin Mills at one time and almost every single time at the end of it they didn't like us and we didn't like them and Ola Mills was happy for us to leave. They didn't even want any appointments after it Sell pictures. Just let the family go. <laughs> let them go. It was rough. But almost every time there was at least one photo where everybody's eyes were open, everybody was smiling, and they looked like they were a family. And we would hold that, fa- that photo up and we would say, yeah, I see the family resemblance. That's our family. And we'd have those warm feelings, Right? And we still pull those photos out every once in a while. And we forget all the bad things, right, leading up to that photo. We rejoice in that one moment. And Paul's doing this not in the sense of Olin Mills' photographs, but he's doing this in the sense of the church at Philippi who was walking with him in what he calls the fellowship of the gospel. In view of your participation of the gospel from that day until now. In other words, you get me. You understand me, and I understand you. We're in this place surrounded by the Roman Empire and Greek culture, and and we are definitely in a minority, and we have a priority of getting the gospel to other people, and we worship someone that nobody else knows, but we understand each other. And when I think about you, my family of faith, I am moved with this warm affection of Jesus Christ. The first time I traveled overseas to preach was in Brazil at the age of about 22 years of age. And and we stayed with, the different members of our team stayed with uh, Brazilian families who spoke largely only Portuguese and we spoke largely only English. And uh, we would go to worship services with them at their church and we would just have meals with them and so forth. And I was astounded, at the age of 22, astounded by the closeness of fellowship and the camaraderie I felt with a family that we didn't have anything else in the world in common with except the gospel of Jesus. That's all. We both loved Jesus. There were some words that translated amen, translates everywhere. Hallelujah, translates everywhere. They, they, they used English for praise the Lord. And so we could be in their worship services and, and kind of understand what was going on. But more than anything else, we felt affection for them in an unusual way because we are fellow believers with them Amen. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not an emotional guy at all I rarely ever cry just when the cowboys lose which is a lot I guess you know <laughs> but I can think about some of you in this church and some groups of you that I walk closely with and I have to take a step back and push pause because my eyeballs are sweating just a little bit at the great affection I feel because we are on the same page of the gospel. We have the same calling, the same mission. And God is using us in some incredible ways. That moves me. And I'd like to think I'm a little bit like Paul there, who talked about the affection of Jesus Christ. And it's not just there. Because Paul's also thinking about another time where they're not just going to be standing around praying or worshiping Jesus on earth, but they're going to be standing around a throne. That's in that last day, that last time. Standing on that throne, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's part of the camaraderie of the body of Christ and part of what Paul is communicating right there. The right kind of affection for those people around you. And it's not the affection that says, I like you and you like me. And we are a happy family. It's not even the statement of, I don't like you necessarily, but I love you in Jesus. You've heard that before. People have said that to me before, by the way. Pastor, I don't like you, but in Jesus, I guess I love you. This is more of God placed us together. We're walking together as the body of Christ. And I have warm affection for you of Jesus Christ, Paul said, to the church at Philippi. Wow. So put it all together. What does this passage say about finding joy? I'll summarize it like this. Find your joy in the great things God has already done. The ongoing work he's doing within you and the amazing tribe he's placed around you. Find your joy there. It's it's there to be had. It's there to be experienced. And when you walk in that, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter the potholes in life and the difficulties and all the adversities, Paul was going through all these things. But there in the midst of all that, you'll find the joy that Jesus intends for you to have. And I want that for you. He wants that for you. Would you bow your head for just a moment? As I close in prayer, I'll just simply say that the fellowship that we're talking about here is entered into by a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Coming to him by faith, asking him to forgive you of sin, give you the gift of eternal life. And we would love to talk to you about that today. Maybe you're not sure if you are truly saved. We talked about once truly saved, always saved. Are you truly saved? Have you truly come to faith in Jesus? Has there been times after you put your faith in Christ in your mind that your heart was being transformed? Have you seen evidence of the work of his spirit in your life? And if that's there, rejoice. If it's not there, let's talk about it. And we can talk through what that means and what it takes to come to the place of giving Christ your life. So I invite you to come by the decision stations that we have Available at the end of each service. I invite you to come to our guest reception center. If you're a guest here today, I would love to visit with you for just about 10 or 15 minutes about Cross City Church and how we might be able to connect. And then lastly, I invite you to invite others to come back as we walk through this amazing letter. Would you stand with me as we have a closing word of prayer? Father, I do want to thank you so much for this group of people in this room today for this book the book of Philippians. For the Apostle Paul who wrote this under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and ultimately thanking you, Lord, for the fact that you want us to know these things and to be able to find joy in our life, in our life circumstances in you. So, Lord, I pray today that you will help make application to every heart, every room, every person in the room today and allow us to make the decisions that lead us to you. Thank you, Father. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.